So, Chen-Tan, you and I have talked before uh, several times, but this is the first time that, that we've recorded. And that the reason that I actually wanted to uh, invite you to record this, because I'd really like for you to kind of go over what you were telling me before. Uh, sort of uh, uh, tell the story, uh, the second verse the same as the first. Sorry, say that again. Uh Tell the story again. Okay, okay. Okay. So, a friend of mine, um, oh wait, no, sorry, no, um, I just remember this person is very private and I wouldn't want... No, no, this is all I want you to say is that you figured out that there was jealousy there. The first thing that you said is, I am jealous. And then you went back into jealousy. But then you says, wait a minute, that's just a belief. Yep, yep, okay. That's so, where we come into it in the sense of you're separating yourself now from the sense of, oh, that's just jealousy. This is that aha moment, I am not this thing. Or the other side of it is, aha, I see you, Myra. Basically, This is yeah. that aha moment that I'm pointing at, okay? And you use the words of, oh, wait a minute, that's just a belief. Yep. All right. So I, um, so I was experiencing a lot of jealousy um, for someone, um, something that happened to someone that I would have liked it to happen to me. And it was quite painful. Um, lasted for about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> jealousy is it. painful. Right. It is a state it of is. pain. Yep. Wanting something you don't have. Exactly. It's um, yeah, and it got really painful, and it got to the point where I thought. Oh, wait, no, that's just me. I'm a very jealous person and I can't do anything about it. I wish I wasn't a jealous person. It's, um, but I am and it sucks, but you know, that's just the way it is. And then I realized, hold on a minute, that's just a belief. That just, that just means nothing. It can just be dropped. It's something about me, but it's still just a belief and I can drop it. And I did. And I was so in, grateful that I could. In the sense of belief, what was actually the belief that you were dropping? That, that identifying with being a jealous person. Okay. All right. That's and exactly identi- what we- <laughs> and Identifying okay. with any jealousy, any feelings of jealousy that came about. It's like, oh, first, initially, it's like they were me. And now it's like they're not me anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the first step, is to recognize we are not who we think we are. Yep. And who we think we are in that state is, I'm jealous. Yep. Or that the jealousy itself is like, if there is a difference between the jealousy and me that has the jealousy, it's that the jealousy is on top, and I'm covered and smothered with it, or I am under its control and spell. And that's when you said, I am a jealous person. That's what you said. You saw that. 
And when you saw that, the next step then is, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> and that's that that's that that kind of a breakthrough. It's an aha moment. Uh the the people who are in and love the word Vipassana, they say that's insight. Mm -hmm. That's actually the recognition that goes with the rest of it. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, that we are not, in fact, who we thought we were. Yep. We think we're self-jealous, or I am angry, or I am this or that. No, we're just under the control of that particular emotion. But yep. when we wake up to it, oh, wait a minute, I am not that part of the brain right now. I'm now the frontal cortex. I'm waking up to see who's, who's what. And yep. uh, congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah, it feels really good. I hope the students can see this and say, yeah, that can happen with me too. Because yeah, mm. it, 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 that's part of the process. Because it's waking up to see that I am not my feeling. Yep. So that's a very... Now, the next thing that you were saying about it was, go ahead and tell the rest of the story that you told me before. Um, so when that happened, I was I just felt so grateful for it. Um it was so good to not feel like I was bound by it, that it was me, because I didn't want to feel that way anyway. Um, but I thought I had to feel that way, but I don't. And it felt so good. Um, and since then, I've kind of been able to just, anything that happens, I can just remember. Every time I remember, I can just come back to the breath, to the present moment, bodily sensations or anything like that and no matter what happens I can just come back to it um might not last for long but regardless um no matter what happens I can just come back and that's quite good because as opposed to feeling like oh my god this sucks it's like oh wait no I can just come back it's that's great. excellent right okay so this knowledge is the first knowledge that the Buddha talks about that is a noble, supramundane uh, factor of the path that's mm. not held by ordinary people. That insight that you are talking of, that no matter how obstructed the mind is, I can remember to come out of it. Yep. That I can see that jealousy when it arises and I can come right out of it. Now, when we're wallowing in our jealousy, it feels overwhelming yep. that we literally are under its control and we think we are it. Yep. And we're not. We are not it. When we recognize we are not it, that means that means when we see it, we can come right out of it. And so this is the first knowledge. And the way that the Buddha speaks of it is no matter how obstructed the mind is. The student knows that he can wake up and come back to the present moment and see the truth. Yep, exactly. And the truth is, I am not that jealousy. Nope. And this is the first stage of nobility, which means then that this is the first step of Sotapan. This is it. This is the place where people come to. And you've only been practicing a short time, and already it's just Bang, and it's got you. So congratulations. Thanks. This is excellent. 
so that you can see that, in fact, you can keep coming back out of it and coming back out of it. So now you begin to practice that more and more. Now you begin yeah. to see how valuable sati is. Yeah. Wait a minute. Definitely. There may be a whole lot of other stuff I should wake up and see. Yeah. Because I can come out of a whole lot of stuff. Okay. So this is beginning the attitude now. And that this is what leads then one into practicing more diligently so that we can actually uh, get into that state of um, satisfaction. Because in that state of satisfaction, we can see things like jealousy a whole lot better than when we're in the jealousy. When we're stuck in jealousy, it's hard to see it. But if we are already in a state of really nice state of satisfaction, then we can see the jealousy a lot easier if we are, in fact, on guard. And that being on guard, then, is the quality of applying the mind to what needs to uh, be applied to and being able to sustain it there. And once we're uh, able to do that, now we really have a mind that's fit for work. Mm. And so that's now the second knowledge that is super mundane. It is... um, uh, the Pali word is lokatara, super mundane, which means above the world. Because, in fact, we are actually above the world now. We're in a state of uh, satisfaction. And that's not a worldly state. Mm. <laughs> the worldly state is unsatisfying. Everything is not good enough. So when we get into that state of satisfaction, we're above the world. This is a noble state. This is a state that is... Um, like we say, transcendent, but I like the word super mundane, but in the Pali it's Lokatara, and it is actually part of the path or the method of the Buddha, that we've got to get the mind fit for work, and that that's what's the progress that you're in now, is you're beginning to wake up to say, wait a minute, I see the job now to do, and I need to get the mind fit enough so that we can do that job. Mm. And that's that second um, uh, goal, uh, this part of it. And so then the third part would be the investigation of the teachings of the Buddha and apply it directly to the mind. This is where we delve into the qualities of how Anapanasati fits into Paticca Samuppada, or as in Thai they call it Paticca Samuppada. I've got a friend, we've, all morning we've been talking, and, um, and he speaks half Thai all the time. <laughs> mm. And so, um, uh, this Paticca Samuppada that the Buddha uh, is teaching is actually a full-blown understanding of the second noble truth, which is, what is, the, what is suffering? What is the cause of it? What's the origin of it? Or another way of asking that same state uh, question is, how do I keep winding up in it? What process of the mind goes haywire so that we wind up suffering? Okay, and that's what the Buddha was all about. So there's actually quite detailed way of looking at it in 12 steps of Pratika Samuppada, but that there's some key points to it. And that we can, uh, in fact, I've been teaching Patita Samapada all along. 
because it fits so well within Anapanasati. And in fact, Anapanasati is the process by which we get the mind fit to see what the mind actually is and how it works. So that we begin to put wisdom at a point in this process so that we begin then to choose how we're going to feel as opposed to feeling the way that the old instinctual ignorant way of living. And so uh, we learn that we start with ignorance, we, we mush our, we, we kind of mush our way through feelings into clinging. And that clinging then is the arisal of the suffering in the sense of woeful states. And so we actually be reborn in a woeful state. Uh, the, the classical woeful states is um, hell, uh, prita, or hungry ghost, um, asura, and um, an animal. And that uh, when we bring it back from magical beliefs and actual animals, we can actually see then what it is to be like to be an animal, mm -hmm. or to be a hungry ghost, or to be in hell. I have seen people in hell. They were walking around this planet Earth like everybody else, but their mental state, they were in hell. Mm. Yep. Okay, so there are these real states. There is this state of hungry ghosts because people want things they can't have. In fact, jealousy is the very hell that you're in of being a hungry ghost, okay. wanting something that you don't have. And you woke up to that. Congratulations. <laughs> So hungry ghosts, you kind of are hungry, aren't you? Uh-huh, we're hungry. When we want, and one of the things that people hunger and thirst after is being enlightened. Mm. Wanting something they don't have sounds a whole lot more like suffering than it does freedom from suffering. By wanting freedom from suffering, that's a new kind of suffering. We're adding to the suffering already there. It makes things worse, not better. Well, I still want to get enlightened. Well, why don't you do that right now? That's true. <laughs> I mean, literally, do it. Come on, I want to see it. Why wait? Why hope for a better tomorrow when you can have that today, right now? <laughs> Take a deep breath and says, okay, things are fine enough. They're good enough. No need for any more work, no place to go, nothing to do. I mean, what's it going to be like when you're enlightened? And darn it, do it right now. Mm. You're already enlightened, as in folks say. Don't want anything. Enjoy what you've got. Mm. That's the only way there is to be enlightened. Is to be light enough. That's it. In fact, that's another aspect of the hungry ghost. You want that, too. Mm. Wanting enlightenment is something else that the hungry ghost wants to throw in there so I can make me better. <laughs> that's true. I see you. <laughs> And so uh, these 
woeful states we wind up in. But we don't have to, because as you say, looking at that process, you woke up, you became wise to those feelings of jealousy. You found that, they, wait a minute, this is painful. <laughs> yeah. So warning enlightenment is also painful. Look at that and recognize, oh, wait a minute. Why should I intentionally add the pain of wanting something I don't have? I know what you mean, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a common problem in the West. And there's another aspect to it also, that the animal state, the way we treat draft animals is a good example. And the one that I remember that struck me strongly was in India, I saw this donkey with, uh, uh, was roped to a log on its back. That was about six inches or so. I mean, it wasn't a heavy log in that respect. The fact is, is that it was connected to a millstone on the other end of it. And this donkey is now walking. And his whole life is walking around in this 30-foot circle. While this guy is putting sugarcane stalks into the mill with the outcome of the sugarcane juice, right? Yep. Which the guy is lukewarm, but he's in the India, they're selling it there at 10 rupees a, a glass. Guess what? Donkey don't get no juice. Mm. He does not get the fruit of his labor. Mm. Draft animals, say the, the plow horse. Once he plows that field, he used to live in that field. It was wonderful. It was a beautiful meadow. Until yeah. he had to actually plow it under, and he doesn't get any benefit from the uh, the stuff, uh, the work that he did by doing the plowing. That all the crops go to the farm. Our societies are that way also. So that the rich get richer and the poor get not what, their, what the fruit of their labors actually are. And not only that, but the, the people are actually out there working really hard against their own best self-interest. Yeah. We're animals. And that we treat our children like animals when we say, sit down and learn your ABCs. Or sit down in this desk and stop playing and enjoying your life and, do, and pay attention. Stop daydreaming, etc. You know what they do to kids. Promising them, oh, well, if you fit, finish this grade, you'll get a good grade. And then you'll go to the next year. And when mm. you finish four of them, then you can primary, you can graduate into middle school. And then you graduate into high school. And then you graduate into university. And then you graduate in graduate school. <laughs> yep. Always doing what you were told to do with the promise that things are going to get better. Well, yep. already we've invested in 20 years of not getting any benefit from our behavior. So we wind up then with a nice job and a big house and a 
trophy wife and all of that and midlife crisis by the age of 40. <laughs> Why? Because we have been draft animals clogging after a chore that had missed the key ingredient, and that is the joy of living. Mm. That that is what children have. All the children love to have joy, but they lose it. Yeah. I don't think any of them lose it intentionally. No. But they lose their joy. And they're taught to be unhappy. Here we teach happiness. Here we can get it back. That's part of the practice, is to stop being that animal that we fall into that woeful state so often, as well as the woeful state of jealousy, wanting things that we don't have. The other one then would be the woeful state of um, hell itself, which uh, Buddha Dasa actually mentions is the word uh, anxiety and uh, anger, that we actually literally get hot. And we think that we've got to do something. We've got to get out of this place. We've got to get out of this state. There's a point of desperation. And people feel that a lot. That's what we mean by hell. A hell state is a state of desperation that we want out of and we don't know how. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable and uh, hard to endure. And so this is, yep. this is hell. And boy, is it suffering. <laughs> yeah. We don't like it. We're dissatisfied completely. Yeah, I know it. Oh, you've been there, done that too, huh? Yeah. Why wake up, watchy, watchy, <laughs> <laughs> wakey, wakey. You watch what's going on, or you're lined up there again. But mm. if you can wake up, you can see it and see that you are not in hell. Mm. You can climb out of your despair. You've got that first step down. You keep practicing that first step, and it will bring the second step. And then the third knowledge is the knowledge that, by gum and glory, this stuff works. Mm. Right down to the bottom. And when I mean this stuff, I'm talking about the, the teaching of the Buddha. That which the Buddha gave that no other teacher in his time was able to give, and that was with all the spiritual practices they had, Nobody had that real freedom of finally I figured out how life really works. Okay. And so that's what we're looking at is that complete satisfaction with the way things are. And that's a skill that actually needs to be developed. And we can talk ourselves into it. But we yep. have to practice being in it rather than wanting it. If we want it, we're practicing wrong. If we're actually doing it, we're doing yeah, it yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you yes, know that now. you that can too. wake up and you can say, I am not that animal. Yeah. I am not in that hell. That hell state's in the mind, but I am not that hell state. This is the Lokatara. This is the letting go of that clinging. The clinging that we do puts us or that self in the mix. Mm -hmm. And we are not that. It's the feeling. This is the part that we begin to understand. Oh, that's what we mean by no self. I am not the old personality. I can be what I want to be. Yeah. So I imagine what I am wanting to be, and I begin to feel that. 
And everybody that I know of wants to feel good and joyful and happy and full of energy and bouncing around. So take a deep breath and bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Bounce with joy. This is the way that we want to live. Why don't we let ourselves do that? The answer is, well, I think I'd rather spend my time jealous. Or maybe I want to be enlightened, maybe. (laughs) This is how we spend our time of being a wannabe rather than enjoying the the, the actual fruit of the labor that we take, the the right effort that it takes to come out of those states, the effort that it takes to wake up and see them and recognize that I am not that. Then we can place ourselves into the state that we want to be in, a state of satisfaction. And from that state, when this stuff does arise, it can't take control. We won't let it take control. Mm. And maintain that uh, state of satisfaction. This is why they talk of it in the sense of applied and sustained thought. Why? Because we're going to keep the mind sustained on the kind of thought that allows that freedom from being overwhelmed by our feeling. Yep. Yeah, we sustain it. That's what I've sort of trying. I've tried to work on. Um, okay. All right. Well, I've just given you the key ingredient, and it is in in the state of keeping your mind in a wholesome state, which means you've got to kind of be on guard. Be on guard. But not allow thoughts of jealousy. Now that you know what jealousy thought's in, but you had to climb out of it, now that you're out of it, make sure it doesn't return. Yeah. Or desire for more satisfaction in the sense of wanting to be even more enlightened than you already are. That's wanting something. I see that too. (laughs) No, right now is actually really good enough. And so we can come out of those desires and wants and be satisfied at the present moment and practicing that over and over and over again because for years you've been practicing wanting things. You're really good at wanting things. You even want things when you hear a story of God, good fortune and all of a sudden you want it. <laughs> yep. So this is the way then that we will practice with the Anapanasati is to understand these woeful states that we get ourselves into. The only one, by the way, that I haven't mentioned is the Asura. And the Asura are the ones that are generally referred to as heavenly states or heavenly beings, at least there's one good state in there among all of those others of animal and hell and uh, hungry ghosts. But wait a minute. This level of heaven is actually an airy fairy place and that the Asuras are actually uh, a warrior class, but they're at the bottom rung of heaven which means that any class that they war with will beat the car out of <laughs> And so Sorry, we wind up, up. I, that uh, I said that, that any uh, uh, people in the heavenly worlds, since they're at the bottom tier, anyone that they fight with 
will beat the tar out of them. Okay? They'll win. And so the Asura's in means that he's all dressed up, ready for battle, all trained up to his best ability, and still he's afraid to go into combat. Mm-hmm. It's fear. Even when we're ready to go, we still know that uh, we'll lose. It's a real loser's mentality. And so, and it's based in fear. This one's the one that's closest to the actual rawest of our raw emotions. At the bottom of jealousy and wanting things is an insecurity. If we felt secure, then we wouldn't want anything. At the bottom, then, not only of our jealousy, but of all the things that we want. It's also at the bottom of anger. If there was not fear and insecurity, then people wouldn't get angry. It's only when they feel attacked, generally, that they get angry. Or they can attack themselves from the inside, making themselves feel unsettled, needing to do something, and that would be then called anxiety, that they can't sit still. So that's another uh, miserable state to be in. But it all comes out of this basic fear And that basic fear, then, we can call in scientific terms, this is the uh, self-preservation instinct. Yep. That self-preservation instinct's job is to keep us alive, no matter what. And its basic signal, signal ability or signaling is fear. But what the problem is, is that in our modern society, we don't have any need for fear much. We need it sometimes, but not quite so often. And so most of the fear that comes up is actually a false alarm. Yeah. It's a false alarm. It's a false positive. It's It's saying that there's something, and it's annoying, exactly. And when we are in fear, it's got us by the throat. Mm. Okay, here's a funny one. In the Old West, they had pistols that were revolvers. And you can look at that gun if it's pointing right at you, and you can look at each one of the cylinders to see if they're empty or full. If there are no bullets in that gun, then this is not a fully loaded gun, and more than likely the chamber that it's on is sitting on an empty round, and it may not be dangerous that this gun is pointing at you, but most people are just afraid, and they're not even bothering to look at what's going on. Well, in fact, there's no danger at all in that regard. So you just grab the gun. <laughs> there's no problem. So this is an example of, uh, in that regard, is you've got to wake up and be here now to see really what's going on. That's an, uh, an actual outside part, but really the points are to wake up to see what's happening on the inside. That we don't have to react with fear. But there's no great reason to be afraid that if I, in fact, come back to the present moment, look at what's going on and be here now, I can recognize, wait a minute, that revolver's got no shells in it. Yep. Another example is the dogs. They bark. They're really territorial, and they know where their territorial boundaries are. And so when anybody comes and approaches their territory, they're out there barking, right? But 
they also know that I'm the top dog, that I'm the um, alpha. And so if, if I encourage them to bark, I'll bark too. <laughs> but if I want to discourage them, but I look and see what's going on and recognize that the situation is safe, then I'll give them the signal to stop barking, sometimes a little bit slow. But when they stop barking and start to come back, then I really encourage them, get mm -hmm. them all happy and everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, what I'm saying is I practice Anapanasati with the dogs. How do I do that? The barking, the waking up to the barking, to checking it out, to see what's going on, to recognize is this really dangerous or not. Then we uh, call the dogs off and then we cheer them up and we do all of that. That's, this is Anapanasati with, with dogs. Mm. So if we can begin to do that with our own mind, we can recognize that that dog inside is actually the reptilian brain, the barking dog that is trained to be a barking dog. And we want him to continue his job. We do not want to kill the dog to shut him up. We don't even want him to completely shut up. We want him to bark and so we to get our attention. So we do not want to completely eliminate fear within our own self. But we want to be able to manage it completely rather than it freaking us out and managing us mm -hmm. so that we're not able to think or, or see straight or whatever like that. So this is actually, this Asura state is much more of a kind of a, another kind of hell that we're in. Sort of all dressed up and no place to go. Mm. Because we're afraid. So, these are these asuras, or these are these hell states, and it is directly <clears throat> uh, plugs right into Paticca Samupada, right at that state of the becoming and the birth, because this birth that they're talking about is the rebirth into one of the hell states. And each one of the health states are directly associated with each one of the four modes of clinging. Okay, clinging by wanting things that you don't have will take us immediately into that un, uh, that woeful state of being uh, a hungry goat. Okay, so uh, the four modes of clinging, uh, the ultimate one of the four is clinging to the person, which is the self-preservation uh, instinct. That's very interesting that the four modes of clinging fit into the four primary instincts, just like a hand in a glove, and just like the four woeful states. These are all very deeply interconnected. And so these four modes of clinging is clinging to the self, then clinging to materialism, and wanting sensual pleasure from our material possessions, including uh, freedom from fear. The next one is attachments to rites, rules, and rituals, and procedures, and all of the stuff that Freud identifies as the, uh, uh, the superego, and Byrne calls it the parent ego state. But it's all of our rules, all of our rites, all of our rituals, and that the Buddha calls this attachment to these things 
is the third mode of clinging. So is that like habits? Like if you have a habit to, I don't know, like make a cup of tea every morning and you'd feel bad if you didn't have it one day? Precisely. Precisely. That's exactly right. You're supposed to do that. And if you don't do this ritual every day, then that part of the mind will say, oh, no, 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 no. You're supposed to do it like this. You got to follow the rule. Yeah. And we have a whole section of the brain. The midsection of the brain is what processes and does all of that kind of stuff to it. And uh, therefore, in a way, that's the animal state. If you don't drink that coffee, if you don't drink that coffee, then uh, or have that cup of tea at that time of day, then you're not doing your duty. You got to do what you're told to do. So that places you in that woeful state of, oh no, I'm getting punished for not doing my 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 job, but my job is not rewarding anyway. Yep. Okay, there's no benefit from doing your job, but if you don't do the job, then if you don't turn, if you're the donkey and you're not pulling that stick around, you're going to get whacked. And who does the whacking? The very part of it that's saying, oh, you should have that cup of coffee. And so now the in uh, Burns' uh, world or logic, he would say, that's the parent ego state feeding on the child, the feeling part of us. So we begin to feel bad. Okay. While we have this third ego state of the adult that has to do with the human part of the frontal cortex of the mind can actually wake up and start managing this dialogue internally. But when people are normally asleep in their world or living in their normal existence, there's an internal dialogue between the parent and the child in us are trying to get us to either conform to the rules or uh, rebelling against the rules or um, ignoring the rules and then feeling guilty about it or getting punished. And all of this kind of dialogue is going on while we really are not watching what's going on. Mm. Okay, so this is what Buddha is talking about is that second fetter is we got to get over this set of rules that we have, or another way of saying it is, start throw out, throwing out your old maps. So do, does that also apply to? Does that also apply to all kinds of addiction, like like if you're addicted to drugs or something? We can apply this teaching to any of those kinds of addiction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Basically, at any stage along the way of the uh, from from the buying to the uh, uh, to the homing to the preparation to the administration uh, to the effect of the drug, at any time along that stage, somebody can wake up and look at what they're doing. Mm. And recognizing, wait a minute, I'm looking for pleasure, but I'm calling myself harm in the search for pleasure. Because the pleasure always winds up in a downer. So maybe I can find a new way of getting pleasure without doing it with this drug. With me, that would be junk food. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. I like my junk food pizza burgers. Okay. So uh, anything can be seen as an addiction or anything can be seen as a pleasure also. We're really kind of looking for a middle path. You see, the Buddha is not really a great big no, 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 no kind of guy. He's a more via negative or uh, getting rid of the garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that um, uh, one of the issues is about alcohol. That uh, is actually quite a, um, an intense situation because alcohol um, was easy to come by when things were easily fermented and everybody had the ability to ferment things. And so um, when people with this really, really low class alcoholic kind of stuff available to them, uh, that it was quite dangerous and that people did become heedless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the Buddha warned against that, but that it winds up uh, that just imbibing alcohol uh, is only a minor offense. And the, mm-hmm. uh, the monk of holding alcohol uh, is a forfeiture. He has to give up the alcohol. Okay. But it becomes... The funny part about it is, is that the, of the five precepts, that last one, which is actually Sura Maria Macha Pamatadana Vairamani Sakabadam Samatiyami, was added that originally there were only four precepts, and those four precepts are actually mentioned as part of the Eightfold Noble Path under the heading of right speech and right action. Okay, of not taking the life or harming things, not uh, uh, taking things that are not given, uh, and uh, uh, not engaging in um, uh, sexual activities that lead to harm. Okay, which is kame sumi chacharawe ramani sakavadam samakiyami. And then the other one, which is right speech. is musawada, but that's also got its own section of the different kinds of not right speech. Uh, but even a direct lie is not a major offense uh, in the Paddy Mork until it reaches the level of telling the lie about uh, spiritual attainments mm-hmm. that you don't have. And so uh, generally within the Sangha, monks don't talk about what jhana states they've had or uh, what state of practice they are or what fetters they have removed or any of that kind of stuff because that's kind of a no-no that is bordering on bragging. But a monk can still tell you all about it without saying and I know what I'm talking about because I've been there, done that. You have to be careful with that, been there, done that quality about what what you have done. And so uh, normally I use that quality of been there, done that when it's like I've been to India and I've done India. <laughs> or, or I have been in hell. I have been there, done that. <laughs> That's the way that I would look at it rather than, uh, oh, Fort Johnny, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> That's not the way to talk. <laughs> so um, other than that, 
even direct lies. But the point about the alcohol is, is that when we get into the Western Dhamma thing, somehow or another, the rule makers have gotten a hold of that. And so the first group of rule makers added this thing about alcohol to it and make it a fifth one. And then those that look at that alcohol, they begin to put everything under that term alcohol. Matt is calling. Can we let him join this group? Yeah, um, I have to go in about 15 minutes. Okay, all right. So, hey. Hello, Matt. Welcome uh, to the call. Hi. How's Matt is in London. I, uh, oh, you're in London? Oh, yeah. me too. You too? And, yeah. Oh, uh, whereabouts? Uh, Peckham. Okay, I'm from Wembley. Oh, are you? Okay. Northwest, southeast. Mm. <laughs> What's your name? I'm Chintan. Chintan, nice I'm Matt. Matt. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Okay. So when we started on this call, Matt, he uh, Chapman was talking about that he had been able to see the jealousy. First yeah. he saw, I am jealous. And then he, wait a minute, that's just the thought, I am not the jealousy. And so since then, we've been working in the levels of Paticca Samupada of the connection between the actual grasping that, that leads to the jealousy. Wanting something we don't have uh, is the tanha that actually leads to that hell state that is jealousy. That is, in fact, now the um, uh, uh, the hungry ghost. Mm. So we have been covering how these four woeful states fit in with the four uh, modes of clinging that also are closely associated then with the four kinds of uh, instincts. So we have the hell world, we have the hungry ghost, we have the uh, shura, and we have uh, the animal worlds. And the, this comes from wanting things that we don't have, being completely dissatisfied with something, being afraid of it, or going along to get along, being stupid, and not knowing what our value is. Okay, mm -hmm. so these are the woeful states connected with the uh, uh, the four modes of clinging, which is clinging to the self. The second one is clinging to material possessions, thinking that we can get safety from these material possessions that in this instinctual level would be called the procreation instinct. Many people think immediately of sexuality, but in fact it has more to do with ownership. That that weapon is often mine is more protective than she. And in fact, the way to get a she is with this weapon, this axe. You've seen the, the cartoon, in fact, it's a fireside cartoon, and you see this uh, big Neanderthal kind of guy in a bearskin, in his right hand is a club, and in the left hand is head full of hair carrying the, uh, the hair of the head of the woman being dragged along. She's been knocked out, obviously, by the club, into the cave. Now, which came first, the girl or the club? 
in both cases, that's that that he's doing that to get her into the cave because the cave now is the next uh, instinctual is the nest. The nesting instinct is, in fact, he's now the king of the nest. She's got to do what he says to do. That's how all households are run. Somebody's the boss. Somebody's in charge. And that we remember that kind of stuff from childhood and build up for ourselves a set of rules, a set of uh, responsibilities that we have, a, a way of doing things, and this pile of rules and laws and rituals that each person piles up for his own individual use winds up becoming quite a burden. Winds up with hundreds and hundreds of rules. So uh, that's that context of the nesting instinct is because if we don't follow the rules of the nest, we'll get thrown out of the nest. Or if we get dragged into the some nest, that means now we have to go according to that nest. Now, the last one uh, is what in humanity in the instinctual world would be called uh, our territorial instinct. So the nest and then outside the, uh, the nest is our, our territorial boundaries, which means anything within our territorial boundaries is okay and friendly. And anything outside of our territory is dangerous. That's them. There's now an us and them mentality going on. And so that's why the dogs are out in the yard barking is because it's a them that came up, not an us. Or is, in fact, this an us? Because when that them becomes an us, then it's okay for the dogs to shut up and come home into the house. So you can see that territorial, but the humans, because of our movements and the fact that we've been nomads, is that our territories wind up being often intellectual in the sense of branding or banners or identification, calling cards, uh, icons. So we identify with organizations. Like I'm a Democrat, or I believe in God. And in both cases, those are fighting words. <laughs> So we have all of these belief systems, and when our belief systems clash with other people's belief systems, that means that now there's an us and there's a them. Okay, there's that us and there is them. This is what also will eventually lead right back into that state of fear of the self-preservation. So our territorial instinct is actually a protection but our way of using that instinct of, uh, of what is mine and what is my boundaries, instead of actually practicing it through wisdom to expand that, we tend to want to close it down because the closer we can make it, the more safe we feel. Rather than recognizing, wait a minute, if we can feel really safe, that means that our territory can expand and become boundless. So... This is a way of looking at, the, uh, this is actually an important quality of looking at how human beings actually are put together. Is these instincts, when not managed well, wind up in states of woefulness for the human. And so, uh, 
we become an asura. When in fact, the real motivation is to protect ourselves. when in fact things are really not all that dangerous. Just because he called you a Claude or a Clyde doesn't mean that we're actually being attacked. It's all done kind of symbolically. Okay, and so we attach to am I a Claude or am I a Clyde or whatever like that. And so the yes and no of that attachment then is causing us suffering. We get attached to it, and then we become afraid because, oh, no, wait a minute, I'm not a Claude, I'm not a Clyde, that kind of thing. And in fact, it's just a word. It doesn't matter what people say. Uh, the Buddha even talks about that in the sense of there are those who revere me, and there are those who revile me. But in no case, when they re, uh, revere and scold, do I take that uh, and have any degradation of the heart or any uh, uh, loss of joy or anything. And when they re, uh, revere and prop me up and tell me how wonderful again I am, still, that does not in, inflate the heart or make me gladden. Why? I've been that key ingredient that I mentioned before. Because I've been there, done that. On account of, in fact, in the sutra, it says, on account of they are saying things that have already become known. So, we can recognize then that we are, in fact, not within this territorial concept attached to any view, that we become unattached to the views. Mm -hmm. And because of that, then, we, we loosen that mode of clinging because we are clinging to our views about who we are and what kind of groups we approve of and what do we think is right and wrong for in fact things are generally too complicated for us to have the facts enough to decide whether things are right or wrong. I mean, look at the news. The news is getting everybody upset one way or the other where in fact generally the whole news is not taught by any of the ones. You've got to watch kind of all four or five and five or six other viewpoints to even get a hindered, uh, an idea of what's really going on. Because everybody, if you listen to just one news broadcast, you're going to wind up being angry. That's their job, is to keep you there watching, to keep you angry so you support that channel. Yep. And yet we have to decide who we're going to vote for in the next election or how we're going to... Uh... Or you can, when you find a, a, uh, someone that's really truly worth voting for, then by all means vote. <laughs> but if, you, uh, if your choices are between two evils, don't try to decide for yourself which one is less or not. What that's really saying is my vote is a stupid vote, but I'm required to vote anyway, which means I'm actually wasting my vote. It's better to keep it. Better way of talking about it is, is vote for your feet. Don't get into that mess. The Buddhists are generally apolitical. I know that Jack Cornfield and those that uh, charge money for the Dhamma they want you to vote. They want to become a little political. They want to stand up and stand out that way. But the Buddha's not going to vote. So why should you? 
He was a lion. Why don't you be a lion? Why don't you be above politics? Removing yourself from something doesn't necessarily make you above it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that idea of complete political disengagement. Well, political disengagement, I said, was because you've got the choice of the lesser of two evils. Mm. I said, if you have someone that's really worth voting for and you know that, then you're obligated, actually, in a way to support that. That's Dhamma. Working mm -hmm. through wisdom to see something needs to be done, by all means, go for that. But if all your choices are, like in America, is between Democrat and, and Republican, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure whether it's worthwhile voting or not. <laughs> What's the point? But if some of those Democrats can say, wait, wait a minute, I really understand that... Uh, uh, the world is in a crisis and I got a really good reason to vote, then by all means go vote. You know, mm -hmm. that you're trying to do something right and good and you've got some value in it. So if you've got a reason to vote, vote. But if you've got no reason for it, then why should you follow that rule? So it's about not wanting to it's about not voting just because you think you should. Right. Okay. And That's not as a system of like tribal attachment and territorial fighting. Mm. That's another point, which is, and yes, because a lot of uh, voting is instinctual. That a lot of voting in America has to do that the people vote because the politicians have made them afraid that if you don't vote for us, something really bad's going to happen on the other side. And that's out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Because something bad's going to happen on either side. It doesn't matter who you vote for, something really bad's going to happen. <laughs> so, so why? <laughs> and if you don't believe me, go look at the news. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> They go from one tragedy to another. Are you ever going to come out of those tragedies or not? Mm. So if you say, wait a minute, if I vote like this, we can actually cause some good in the world, then by all means do. But most of your choices are often between two evils. And it's really hard for people with wisdom to get up and vote when they don't have any reason to That's interesting. I hadn't thought about uh, talking about that. On I'm, I'm sure that people will start running comments about what I just said. <laughs> but but really, um, it should not be up to because uh, they don't do it in the watch. One of the places in uh, in Thailand that there is no politics is in the watch. You might see billboards and banners all over the place, but when it gets to the watch, you don't see any politicians. No politician goes and stands up at a watch and starts talking politics. That's just a, a national culture aspect that they have. Supposed um, to protect that space from that kind of tribalism and aggression, and mm -hmm. it's, it is it is a quite gross form of um of I I identification isn't it in, yes 
And look how painful it is. Look how many people, let us say Republicans, look how many Republicans are in pain by identifying with Republicans. Mm. They're in real pain. Sometimes it's hard to stop laughing long enough to cry because they're really in pain. They're suffering because of their attachment. Mm-hmm. Or there'll be there'll be Democrats who don't feel a kind of moment's peace during a Republican presidency. You know, mm-hmm. feel like a continual sense of dis-ease about right. the fact that the president is not Democrat. They don't trust him. They don't trust him. They have no faith in Donald Trump. And they've got good reason to have no faith in Donald Trump. So when things go right, they can't stand it. <laughs> So it really is kind of petty jealousy on both ends. It's like, where are the adults in the room? The answer is they don't vote. <laughs> they don't go into politics. The adults have nothing to do with any of this stuff. This is child play, literally. All done in ignorance. So the question about uh, Lokatara or transcendent from the world means that we need to start stop applying our own rule system to the way that the world should be for us. Because it's never going to come up to my standards. I don't expect it to. In fact, my job is, in fact, to infect with joy any and everyone that I come around, but I have no intention of making the entire island of Copangan a happy place. That's too much. That's not my job. My job is to be happy no matter what happens or who's in front of me. And that's the only job that I've got. And I do it happily. How could you be happy? (laughs) Never mind. And so we don't need to vote. If there's anything, we need to help people stop being political. Generally, the Thai people are not very political and things go along. Occasionally, they get worked up. And and a few people get worked up and cause a whole bunch of stuff. And now all the cameras in town are in this one place and they really, really put it up as if there's a really big thing. But then the thing goes away. And because generally, the Thai people are not political. But can we define political? Like if, if by political you mean kind of tribally attached to specific political parties that's one thing but then another thing is kind of concerned with social welfare because that could be another way that someone could understand the term political do you know what i mean or concerned with environmental i would call that political i would only call political that first part that social welfare does not have to be done in an organized way no. For, for instance, a, a school teacher can have the benefit and the welfare of her students in mind uh, uh, at a particular time and place. But, but, but also the, you, the Thai government can have the education uh, um, in mind because here in Thailand, in fact, it's, I want to tell you guys about it. The Thai government actually went to the point of getting a whole bunch of satellite channels for every grade to have one. And now they have school in session 
while all the kids were at home, but they got it on TV. Mm-hmm. And so all the kids were at home, and now once a week, uh, during throughout the week, uh, the child has to go to the school to meet the teachers. And so the teachers are at school, but it's an empty place. But then one child will come in, and the teacher will spend an hour a week with each child going over the stuff that they've done. They're in school. But they're using technology for it. And I, and I really, while I'm watching, uh, I can see that it's very high quality. They've really got it well done. And we're talking about it. We're only watching second grade. <laughs> so I imagine that they're doing that with, uh, with all of the grades in, in Thailand. Uh, but meanwhile, back to the ranch. Uh, that, yes, we go around doing good. We do Medita. We spread joy. We spread the Dhamma. We spread our goodwill and our good cheer, but we don't grab somebody else by the collar and say, you got to smile too. Mm-hmm. We just smile at him, expecting him to get to smile back. Mm-hmm. That, it, that is more of a transmission rather than uh, a... Uh, a rule or a banner to stand under. Mm-hmm. That in fact, the whole point about it is to drop the banner. There's in fact another four that we that uh, of the groups of fours that we've talked about, including four modes of clinging, four woeful states, four um, um, kinds of um, uh, instincts. We also have uh, the four freedoms. Now, the four freedoms are that we uh, drop uh, the word in Pali is cross, but basically they're looking at either a crossbow or uh, a hilt and sword. But what we're looking for is a weapon, to drop the weapon, then to fill the trench Mm. or or the moat. And then uh, the next one is to drop the banner. And then the last one is to unbolt the door. So you can see how the things are are coming in like that. You can see that the dropping of the banner is, in fact, dropping our identification, dropping our uh, uh, icons, stop our identifications with things, and become just a human in the sense that I don't even say I'm Buddhist. I know a whole lot of Buddhists who use that word, and I'm not like them, so why should I? I mean, I'm not going to take that word away from them and say, oh, no, you don't know what Buddhism is. I do. No, let them have the word. (laughs) They can have it. (laughs) And I don't have to claim that word. We stop claiming any word. I'm not this or that or the other thing. There's no word to describe me. Isn't that wonderful? Even the word wonderful doesn't even describe it. Mm. So, um, dropping that banner, getting rid of that thing, not identifying with anything. If we are a Democrat, everything that bad happens to, to the Democrats and we'll feel bad if we're a Democrat. Every, if we're a Republican, everything bad happens to the Republican and now I feel bad because they do, because I am that Republican. I am a member of this thing. Or I am Republican. So when Republican feels bad, I am and I feel bad. 
but if we don't identify with anything, then it doesn't matter what happens. We can actually enjoy Donald Trump. <laughs> That's just quite funny. <laughs> so long as we're not attached. If we become attached to it, we'll either love him or hate him. Mostly hate. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to go. I need to start work now. Okay. All right. So, um, I, I'm sorry to, to leave you on the point that we got three more to go. The banner, the banner we've talked about, the bolt of the door means the opening of the heart. Okay. Yep. And the dropping of the the weapon means to become secure. So all of those things that we've been talking about, man, are the letting go of the moat the, or the trench, letting go of our banners, letting go of our weapons, and even let go of the barring of the door and become open. Mm. And that's the end of it. Just drop all the defenses and stop attacking. Okay, so we'll see you later. All but right. good report. I really appreciate uh, that you've told us about your success. Keep yeah. going. You can see now a little bit further down the road. Yeah, definitely. All right. Speak to you later. Bye. Nice to meet you, Chief. Bye. Nice to meet you, Matt. I tell you what, this has been a long video, so let me cut it off. Sure.